This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. Thanks for tuning in today. We have a guest all the way on the other side of the world, all the way in Romania. Her name is Irina, and she's going to share with us today how she's been able to have tremendous results with the Patterson Program in reversing rheumatoid arthritis symptoms. So we've got a lot to learn from Irina. She's going to talk about the reintroductions of foods and how she did that on the program. She's going to talk about how she got off prednisone and a couple of other disease-modifying drugs and uh, and how that process was and the steps that she took. And also talk about her physical side of things and how she improved her uh, her mobility and her physical strength. So welcome, Irina. Hi. Thank you for having me, Clint. Uh, just want to start by saying thank you for all the work that you do. I've been watching a lot of your videos and got inspired by the people following your program. So I really hope this uh, this video will be an inspiration for someone who wants to improve their health. Thank you. And you've <laughs> be said, it rheumatoid arthritis or, or something else. So You've said you've watched quite a other, lot of the podcasts, haven't you? You've been sort of binging on them. <laughs> I have actually. That's my that's my routine in the morning while I do my makeup and everything. I just uh, uh, turn on one of your videos, and turns out I learned so much from them. It's just a, a bulk of really good information. Yeah, that's what we're aiming for. You know, we're hoping to be able to put out as much uh, stuff for people to learn from, so that they can just incrementally make changes and tweak whatever they're wherever they're at. So if someone's watching this like you do in the morning, making their breakfast, maybe a green smoothie, or if they're listening to it on iTunes on the way to work or on the bus or on the treadmill or something like that, then we're trying to uh, improve their quality of life. So if you're in that situation, hello from Irina and I, and, uh, and we hope that this episode's <laughs> going to be fantastic. Give us a little snapshot. Give us the sort of before and after so we can uh, grab a little clip and share this around and, and get people pumped up about this episode. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so two years ago when I started your program, I was on three severe medication, methotrexate, placanil, and prednisone. And my only hope, because <laughs> I didn't dare back then to hope uh, too much, my only hope was to stay off prednisone because my doctor wanted to put me on biological treatment. These three uh, were not doing a very good job, so I had to uh, do that. And because I was scared to go on biological treatment and uh, I wanted to, to try to stay off prednisone, I started your program and discovered also the plant-based diet. And um, two years after now, I am 100% medication-free. <laughs> Can't believe I say this out loud. So uh, I was able to manage uh, to stay off all medication. It's been eight months since my last methotrexate dose. Wow, that's awesome. In, in the process, I um, lost uh, 40 pounds, so that's 18 kilograms. I cleaned my liver. Uh, I cleaned my skin. I had a very severe acne. 
And because I wanted to understand what was going on with my body, I went into nutrition courses and I'm now a certified nutritionist and changed my career as well. <laughs> How about that? That so, is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. That may, that, yeah it, my smile couldn't be bigger. I'm so, so happy with this. You know, well, it's just so happy to hear that. Wow. I just want to say it's, it's incredible how far you come uh, just by, you know, baby steps. I was watching your videos with people doing the program and I was thinking, oh, I could never do that because I was always, you know, a foodie and uh, I was overweight ever since I was a kid. I was the fat kid of the family. So I was thinking I could I could never do that. But uh, it's just amazing how the taste bud changes, uh, change and how all the body transforms when you just give it healing good food. And um, it's just with the time, I don't consider now that I'm on a diet, I just uh, eat healthy and I enjoy, I'm still a foodie. I, I enjoy all the wonderful, nutritious and colorful food that I, that I make. Yeah, that's so. lovely. Interesting that you said that your family always saw you as the fatty. Um, <laughs> I, I was. I really was. <laughs> They must be just amazed with you now. I mean, we're only shooting this from chest up, but I, but you appear like I'm guessing that you have maybe like a normal body weight now or like body index. No, I'm, I'm still, um, uh, I still have some to lose. Definitely. I'm in the process, but I, I lost, um, I think about 10 kilograms per year. So it wasn't as fast as some yeah. people would you know, uh, think it's amazing. I actually tried to to lose faster, but then I kind of relaxed and saw that I just eat the way I eat and the, the weight goes off slowly but surely. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time in my life that I don't have a yo-yo effect. So uh, I've been dieting a lot, of course, like every girl <laughs> that wants to to lose weight and, you know, fit in the clothes and everything. And it's it's the first time that I don't feel like I'm on a diet. I enjoy food, and I think I just have a very good relationship with food now. And it all starts for me. the The biggest motivation was just to be healthy. It was not only to, you know, fit into some clothes. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's not important. I don't want to uh, minimize that. But the greatest motivation for me was that every kilogram, every pound that I take off my joints will be great because that will be less stress for my joints. I will be able to uh, move easier. And uh, now I see some bad foods that cause inflammation. I see them like enemies to my joints. And for me, that that's what it worked. So it was greater than any other motivation. And I think um, I just, uh, it started with loving my body and wanting to, to give it good food, you know, good fuel, <laughs> so to say. Mm. Yeah, loving yeah, the body. Yeah. yeah, I like that. As a subscriber to a lot of our episodes and as a well-educated sort of person within sort of the Patterson program community, I bet that you've heard me talk about my beliefs around how this disease gets triggered. So what do you think triggered your condition and, and was it obvious or one of these ones where we put it down 
pretty much just to Western diet and stress and lack of activity? Or do you think there was something more specific? (laughs) Yeah, it's a difficult question. I think regarding diet in Romania, the diet is not that bad as Western typical diet, but we're not far either. Uh, We eat a lot of pork. There's a lot of traditional foods full of fat and cheeses and again, a lot of pork. But I don't think it was, yeah, I don't think it was only that. I think mentally there were some some things that probably caused it. And just to mention something that one of my friends, ex-colleagues once told me, I think it was like one year ago, so I was already uh, progressing a lot. He told me, no, I read the, these books and um, here with arthritis, it says you should be more flexible. And I was like, what, who me? I'm... I'm super flexible. I'm a very flexible person. And he was like, no, no, no. You should be more flexible to yourself. And it kind of got me thinking that we're trying always to put so much pressure on ourselves, mentally and physically. We're trying to fit in in all the society um, frames. And I think people that develop these kind of autoimmune diseases are mostly overachievers, you know, people that want to do it all and want to have a perfect career and a perfect status and family and that. And sometimes we just put too much pressure on our bodies and on our on our minds. And I think when I started to just love myself more and um, just be okay with being less perfect and not trying to do it all and please everyone. I think I was a little bit of a people pleaser, you know, ashamed to say no and all that. I think when that attitude started to change, I I started to to heal, which leads me thinking to maybe that was um, something that contributed to causing this. Yeah, I can totally relate to to that, but I don't know I think if that makes sense. What stood out, yeah, absolutely. What stood out to me in that, or what I related to the most, was trying to please people. And it's a constant battle once you're trying to heal to continue your healing path whilst the pressures of everybody else's agenda are on you all the time. Whether it be just eating earlier than what the rest of the family want to do or whether it be having to go to yoga at a certain time, even though that's when you need to pick up the kids or or that might be near when you, you know, you're at work. And it's just really difficult to please yourself first and foremost and then please other people. You know, sometimes some people want to go out at night and socialise with their friends and eat, eat rich foods and, and drink alcohol and that's, the, that's their community and it's trying to work out, well, how do I... How do I maintain that whilst trying to nail everything I'm doing with my health? And and there's friction there and there's work to be done there. And we all have to go through that. Exactly. I, I totally feel you and I, I agree with you. And the reason why for me it took so long <laughs> to find this path and, and heal was because I was 24 when I was diagnosed. So I was really young and I wanted to go out and I was a clubber and I wanted to go out and drink with my friends. I used to smoke sometimes. So I didn't want to just stay home and be sick, you know, and uh, go to bed at 10. I mean, and even though I felt tired and I 
first years were horrible. I mean, I had severe, severe pain. And now thinking that I didn't protect myself more, I didn't take the rest I needed, and I didn't listen to my body because I was just trying, you know, to keep up. I thought it was just something, okay, I was in the hospital and I got this disease, but I'm just continuing with my life. We really have to pay more attention to ourselves. And um, I think that's the reason why it took me so long because I, I tried to, I was comparing myself with uh, my friends um, who don't have to carry this weight mm. on their shoulders, you know. I mean, everybody has their own story and, you know, uh, problems. I don't want to be uh, <laughs> in, insensitive or something, but uh, you have to learn to not compare yourself with someone who just wakes up in the morning and uh, needs five minutes to get dressed. Mm. I need an hour. Mm. <laughs> I used to wake up in the morning and needed, I needed like half an hour warming my hands so I can brush my teeth. It was that it was that bad. So I cannot compare myself to a person that doesn't go through this because um, we have different ways of <laughs> living, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's it's very it's hard not to be resentful too, isn't it? When we have people who we surround ourselves with, who are friends who we went to university with or school with or whatever work with, and they eat junk. They party hard. They seem to have a stomach of iron. And <laughs> and we have to do all these really, really restrictive things and can virtually make no mistakes or we end up in pain. And it's it, it really is hard not to be resentful. And I was speaking about this the other day with a friend of mine who has Crohn's. And um, wow. he and I uh, have often both we always talk about how uh, we regret the uh, the antibiotic use. He did the antibiotics for acne as a teenager, exactly as I did. And then years went later, years later, you know, the, the situation unfolded in a severe way. And, and that one mistake for us in our circumstances being the cause, mostly the cause for us both, very, very long-term years of antibiotics, it's hard not to feel a little resentful. But instead of that, we have to say, well, you know, this, as you put it before, the, the weight on our shoulders or the, this is our cross to bear, what can we do about it? Let's do something positive and let's try and do uh, turn this somehow into a, uh, into a uh, reasonable situation and something we can almost turn into a positive. It's hard for most of us, including myself, to not want to it never to exist and can't see it really as a positive. But we can do as much as we can to do that. You did turn it into something positive. Look, look at all the work you do. And I think you and your wife, because it was most of the time, as, as far as I know, a teamwork. And, um, you know, look at all the people that you change. You know, you basically changed their lives. And that's uh, that's the main reason why I want to turn this into a positive thing and try to help others through my new um, career. <laughs> yeah. I think that, that that is the only way we can find an equal and opposite amount of belief that it, that it has been somewhat worth it. Or, I mean, whilst I'm doing it on a sort of a fairly big scale or at, at least getting to a bigger scale, 
Um, I think that it only takes one life for you to impact, to feel fantastic. And so if you can impact a family member, a parent or a brother, a sister, or even bringing up children who are going to have very little risk of developing a serious disease in their life, or if it can be someone in your case as a nutritionist, someone that you work with or many people that you work with, it makes it worth it, you know, it, or at least it makes yeah. it feel okay. That's where we're looking for, we're, we're, as long as it feels okay. So if people are wondering about how can this feel okay because the misery's there, the pain's there, the drugs are there, what, how can I possibly turn this into something that, that, you know, it feels okay that I got this disease? It would be to help someone else. It would be to, to, to help really help someone else and show them about how they can improve their life. Even if, you know, you're not yourself where you want to be, it inspires you by teaching and educating. It's so empowering. And that's where we can find peace, I think, and happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it gives you fuel. It, it gives you power to to go on and, and move on with this. Yeah. I, I totally get you. And this, I only had this thought recently because up until now, with all the wisdom and everything that I learned in the process, if you would have asked me if I could turn back time, I I would just rather be, you know, dumb and happy. I, I don't want, I didn't want this <laughs> disease. No, really. But, <laughs> but recently um, I started working with a, a few people. Um, so I'm at the beginning now, I'm just working on my website and everything, but I started working with, with a few people and I, I started kind of realizing the the knowledge and the power I have. And I really love working with people and, and seeing them grow and succeed. And I'm very confident that I just turned something painful into well-being and, and something miserable into a really great advantage. So, yeah, I'm on the same page with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I don't want to discourage anyone who thinks, well, I can't get into health practitioner as a health practitioner. I don't want to go and study nutrition because we're not quite at that point yet in their journey. This is not a discouraging moment. This is a moment where you can look at just doing something small, incremental, whether it be just to uh, make some notes and uh, share a recipe with a family member or, or someone who appears to be in need or have a chat on an airplane or a bus with someone if they're if you find out that they're not feeling too good and, and share some information that might help them. I mean, just telling someone to stop oils, for example, to uh, reduce inflammation or to tell them to eat more leafy greens. Um, it feels good to share information that is absolutely sound and proven and reliable. I'm so confident about this sort of stuff. I say things like, look, if, you know, I, I would virtually put anything on the line as a bet to say that if someone comes to me with rheumatoid arthritis and they're eating a western style diet that if they eliminate meat dairy and oils and replace that with green smoothies and some buckwheat and quinoa for a few days i mean you you can't lose that bet you cannot lose that yeah, bet I know. right it's unlosable I the 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 great thing about it especially for people coming with it from a really bad diet mm. you can see the difference in literally days yeah. 
And with your program, I still, I'm sometimes amazed because every time I feel like I'm, you know, not 100% okay, I just go back to the baseline of the program, to the basic foods. I just know every time. Now I know that's my comfort zone because nothing bad will happen. And I know inflammation will drop and I'll feel better mm-hmm. if, like almost immediately. Yeah, that's exactly. So, uh, yeah. yeah, you cannot lose that bet. Yeah. So let's talk more about <laughs> yeah. yeah your your story. I, I've not deliberately sort of delayed hearing about the details. I've just enjoyed chatting about some other things first. And I think that it's also breaks up from some of our other episodes, which can be story heavy. Um, we don't need to get story heavy, but let's just hear at least about, you know, the fundamentals so that people can overlap them with their own situation. I'd like to hear about, you know, what the doctor prescribed for treatment medications that may have worked and may have not worked for you and just ways in which you then also um, experience those meds and then how you got off them. So, you know, that whole start of medication journey and then off them again, I'd like to hear that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a pretty long story, but I'll try to make it as short as possible. So the um, the first pain started like 10 and a half years ago and it started in my my hands my joints i couldn't make a right fist i didn't have enough power and i thought it's just because of the mouse because i was working in an office in a reservations department and i thought it's maybe just because i use my hand uh, too much and i ignored it and then i had some severe shoulder pain when i went to the seaside with a part of my family i was driving for a few good hours and then I woke up and I I couldn't like lift my hand mm. properly because my shoulder was hurting so bad. And that was the first time I kind, kind of got a little bit scared because I was afraid I couldn't drive back. I remember I didn't swim those days, so it was hurting really bad. But I just put some gel like cream on it and I got some anti-inflammatory pills and ignored it again. And then I left uh, just a couple of weeks after I left to the States. That was when I graduated from the university. I quit my job, broke up with my boyfriend and left to America to live the dream, (laughs) basically. And um, I was back basically in a wheelchair in two months. A wheelchair? That's when it all all started. I went there and my brother was, um, actually he was in the army at that time, but he worked at a winery. So I started, I was living with some friends of his and I worked at the winery, opening up a lot of bottles of wine and working at the bar. Uh, So I was using my hands a lot. And then I started having like severe pain in my hands, in my shoulders, in my knees. And it was like one day I would wake up and I couldn't lift my hand. Uh, It was like hard to take a shower, basically. Uh, And the other day, like the left shoulder started to hurt. So nothing that I could relate to, like, okay, maybe I slept in a wrong position or maybe I did, you know, those silly Mm. questions we ask ourselves. Why? But why? And um, I was stuffing myself with a lot of medication because When you're not at your home and you don't have a good insurance and you're basically living with some friends, that's a very bad time to get a a serious disease, you know? So I I was kind of trying, I didn't ignore it because I didn't care, but I just didn't want to bother people, you know? So 
I went to a doctor there because my knee was very, very swollen. Like you could see it from the pants. It was just that swollen. Mm -hmm. And um, he told me it might be something internal, but maybe it could be a possible meniscus injury or something like that. But, you know, just from one consultation, he couldn't say much. So long story short, I, I knew I had to come back home to get it fixed. That's what I thought I was going to do, just to fix the problem and go back and live my life. But it it went down so fast. So this started, it was all in like two or three months. And by the time I was back in the country, I had to use a cane. <laughs> I had like a special seat in the airplane because everything, everything hurts. Like Every part of the body where two bones were connecting felt like hurting. I was buying shoes uh, that were bigger because my feet wouldn't fit, basically. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, when I got into the hospital, so I, I landed like Sunday and Monday, I was straight into the hospital. And I was there for a couple of weeks till they got me diagnosed funny story from the hospital. I know the uh, director of the hospital came to uh, kind of visit all the patients and uh, the doctor who was uh, responsible for me had to just tell quickly, you know, what's wrong. So she's like, "Uh, the lady just uh, came back from the States. Uh, We don't know exactly what's going on, maybe an infection or something. Uh, She can't move her feet and her hands and her, she's basically not functional. So I was just lying in bed and I couldn't even, I was talking to my mom at the phone and someone had to hold a phone for me because I I couldn't put my hand to my ear. So anyway, Mm -hmm. it was that bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, they got me diagnosed uh, uh, with rheumatoid arthritis. And I think it was a couple of weeks that I stayed in the hospital. I remember the day when... A doctor gave me three little white pills. It was Madrol, a mm-hmm. type of prednisone, uh, only mm-hmm. more, yeah, more severe. It was 48 milligrams of Madrol. And um, that night I started to move and I was able to go to the toilet by myself without two assistants <laughs> holding me. So... I started uh, medication, um, I started with 48 milligrams of Medrol and with five milligrams of methotrexate. That's what my rheumatologist at that time put me on. And as the time went by, uh, in a couple of weeks, she of course decreased the, the steroids, but she never increased the methotrexate. She left it only with five milligrams. Now, methotrexate is basically a chemotherapy drug at at a lower dose. And she probably didn't want the uh, side effects to um, affect me so much, but five milligrams was not enough for me to, you know, keep me to, to get me moving and improving uh, my health. And that's why I was basically addicted to steroids because I couldn't get better. I was, I was dependent on steroids to get me start the day, basically. I was waking up and I was living with a friend, my one of my best friends at that time, and she had to help me put on my bra sometimes because my hands couldn't reach my back. And I was 
just wearing all the Ugg boots that like anything that is just easier to put my feet in, any coat that it was just easier to put on because, you know, those elderly people that take like five minutes to put on a jacket, that that, that was me in the morning. Mm. And so I was uh, on this five milligrams of methotrexate and then prednisone for, I think, two years. <laughs> you don't even have to say it, but I know. And then she started adding placanil, which mm. is an anti-rheumatic. Uh, but she never increased uh, this um, uh, this dose. And I was now beginning to see other doctors. My mother was living in Italy at that time. And she was, every time I would go visit her, she would just, you know, take me to a better doctor because this idea that maybe somewhere um, you have better doctors mm. and better treatment outside mm. the country, but it's basically the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is, I started after... So I was four and a half years with prednisone, placanil, and these um, uh, five milligrams of methotrexate. And then one doctor in Italy I saw really changed the doses. The reason why I didn't change my doctor up until then was because I was so bad in, in the hospital. My condition was so bad that that doctor who gave me the three little white pills for me, that was my savior. That was the angel that got me on my feet. And I was raised with this idea. You know, my mother always said, hey, be a good girl and do what the doctor says, you know. <laughs> so it took me a while to get off that mindset mm. and say, hey, you know what? Maybe there is something else better. Maybe maybe I don't have to live with it forever or maybe there is a better way because I was told at the beginning, hey, this is I didn't know what rheumatoid arthritis is. I had no idea about autoimmune diseases. I was 24. I didn't I didn't even know what methotrexate is because they were doing the injections in the hospital every week. And then when I started to take it at home, because I I thought I could never do that myself, but then I got tired of going there every week. So I just learned how to do my own shots and I was Mm -hmm. um, doing that in in my hips. And um, when I saw the side effects, when I got my own, you know, I bought the injections myself and I saw methotrexate and uh, this is for this type of cancer, this type of cancer, this type of cancer. And then at the bottom, somewhere was rheumatoid arthritis. I was like, what is this medicine? You know, I didn't even realize. Yeah, you didn't know because someone else was injecting it for you. When you saw the labels, you started to understand. The only thing they said when I got out of the hospital was don't eat salt because I was on steroids, on prednisone, so I would get swollen. You, you probably don't know, but because uh, you, you haven't taken steroids, but um, if you take prednisone, you have to stay away from salt because otherwise you get swollen. And I had a face like a moon <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the first year I was staying off. Um, I didn't stand to take photos. I didn't want to, wow. you know, see any friends or so because my face was literally like a moon. Or like a pumpkin. And um, they just said, stay away from salt and don't get pregnant. That's just the two advices I got. And I was like, 
okay, I'm not going to get pregnant, but you know, what's, what's the fuss about it? <laughs> and then I realized that this chemotherapy drug basically won't allow me to yeah. get, oh. ever get pregnant well, while I'm on it. While I, I'm on it. I think it allows you to get pregnant, but the risk of oh, having yeah. defects of your child are enormous. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I shouldn't get, it's not that I yes. uh, cannot get pregnant. Yes. I, I shouldn't because I would, I didn't actually understand. I was so, so young and mm. I didn't have any knowledge. I was like, well, what happens if I get pregnant? Well, you would basically create monsters. You did that because the defect of mm. of the baby would be that severe. And I started thinking if my body is not healthy enough to develop a pregnancy and I would have to wait six months to stay off it and then try to have a baby, then how toxic is this medication to my body anyway? You know, that's mm. when I started asking myself. And anyway, this uh, doctor in Italy uh, increased my dose. So that was four and a half years into uh, my journey. And um, after the consultation, he said, you know what? I think you're fighting the side effects of the drugs more than you're fighting the disease itself. And that was like an aha moment for me because he seemed to be the only one who actually said what I was thinking. I was obsessed with prednisone. I was obsessed. It became like an obsession for me. In what and for way? Me, you mean if you didn't have it with you and you weren't able to take it, yeah. then you would have massive anxiety? Uh, no, not anxiety, just pain. It was something. So for me, prednisone is the pure definition of a drug because an addiction. Yeah. Because I hate it because of the side effects it gives me. Like overweight. I, I, I gained two, uh, I gained 20 kilograms in a few months after getting out of the hospital. 20 kilograms is a lot. And I was already overweight. So, you know, it got me to an obese state. And I knew it was bad. But at the same time, when I was trying to decrease it or stay off it, I had so severe pain that when I took my pill, I just felt better in mm. within hours. It was like, I don't know how cocaine is, <laughs> but this this was probably similar. I don't know. You still you've still so, got that glint in your eye when you talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I had so many episodes where, where I just uh, I was trying to stay off it. I was telling to my doctor, hey, I'm doing this homeopath thing and I'm gonna fix the thing and my rheumatologist said okay okay let's see how it goes and then of course i was back crawling and asking for prednisone within you know weeks or so and i knew it's bad but i kind of you know just wanted my dose so i can mm. feel good and start moving well you've definitely set the scene for what i mean someone who is on such a connection with that drug i can see why you really wanted to get off it and that being the main goal from starting our program so i'm pretty excited to hear about how you're able yeah. to do that because as you've said it's extremely difficult to get off and it's just, every day i work with people who are trying to get from two milligram down to one or from five to four and i mean it's painstaking 
Yeah, yeah, it's just, mm. it's horrible. And after oh, four and a half years, the, the doctor in Italy increased my dose of methotrexate mm. gradually. So I brought it up to 20 milligrams, which mm -hmm. is basically the dose uh, recommended for arthritis. And I decreased uh, the prednisone up to a point where I think after five years, I was able to stay off prednisone with the methotrexate 20 milligrams and with the placanil. See, and that lasts. That's perfect. Yeah. That's what every doctor yeah. should do, in my opinion. What you've just described is the precise thing that I, I believe should be done. If you're on, like, prednisone is not a long term rheumatic drug, it's an interim thing that should be taken, I believe, only in extreme circumstances to get someone from the hospital to home again, and that's about it. And then we should be using proper medications for a proper, serious, long-term condition. Exactly. It, yeah, yeah, I mean, prednisone and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, they're meant for like very, very short-term use and they're not a long-term medication treatment in my view. Yeah. Mm. I know. That's why I changed my doctor after those years. The new one, the, um, the, the Italian is, was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the thing is, um, oh, I think my condition was pretty severe because I couldn't. So the body got used to that dosage mm -hmm. of methotrexate oh, and it didn't last oh, yeah. for too long. Mm -hmm. It lasted for, I think, I was able to stay off it for a few months, close to a year. That was like the first time. And I was able to uh, lose some weight as well. So I was very happy. But then the pain started again. And uh, yeah. uh, the local rheumatologist in Romania had to, um, you know, give me prednisone. She was saying, okay, take this for like a month. And then after the episode is done, you'll, uh, we'll be able to extract it to um, get it off. And I think that's just crazy talk as well. Another friend, a different friend came to me the other day with a condition which was actually um, lupus, external lupus. So we're talking about a skin condition, not the, the classic internal lupus and, and, you know, the more common version. And so he goes to his doctor and the doctor says, okay, well, take the medral pack, exactly what we're talking about, like for your, what you were given, right? And then so I speak to my friend, he's a very smart, intelligent person. And he said, yeah. I said, what are you taking? He's like, I don't know what it is. How can you not know what it is? And he sent me a text message. He's like, "It's a, it's it, this is what it is. I said, yes, that's a steroid that I was telling about at dinner. And, and this is how it works and everything. And I'm like, at the end of taking it, your symptoms are going to be exactly the same as what they were, but you'll have then suffered whatever internal damage from take 50 milligram, for example, a starting dose. You were on 48. Why? What? Well, they... On what planet does this make sense? At the end of taking steroids for a month, you then have the exact same condition because it's just a big anti-inflammatory. It doesn't address the underlying cause or anything. It's not like when the yeah. body gets rid of the inflammation for a month, then it decides that, oh, I'm never going to have that inflammation ever again. It's just going <laughs> to resume exactly what it was doing beforehand. It's just absurd. And so, you know... I, that situation is exactly what you're just describing. The doctor's like, oh, you've come to see me today. And if I were the doctor, not knowing, if I didn't have the skills of the nutritional side of things and someone comes with your situation, the only thing I could say was ah, take steroids because it gets them out of the office and gives them some pain relief and you feel like you've achieved something for taking someone's money. 
that that's that's just crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's so like you, covering something covering with yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. oh, there's dirt there. Let's just cover it with a blanket and just pretend. And then you have to take off, you know, you have to take your blanket. Oh, the dirt is still there. Yeah. Big surprise. Big surprise. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I didn't yeah. know much, uh, but I, I knew oh, I wanted oh, yeah. to stay off it. But th- this is how it's been going on for the, the next year. So I was having an episode, whatever I would mm called him i was i was going to her and she would prescribe prednisone and she actually suggested hey this is not working anymore let's uh there's a trial for this new biological treatment i didn't know what biological is Mm. but i kind of understood that's the second level Mm -hmm. and it will get me even harder to exclude that once i get on so I was kind of afraid of that. And this trial, trying a new medicine, I didn't want to be a, a, a guinea pig. rat lab. Yeah. A, a guinea pig. Yeah, mm. yeah. And um, this is basically what happened in, in the next period. Um, I was going to her every time. And every time I would try something new, like um, uh, this uh, self-healing uh, books and uh, this new... I know, alternative thing. And I was I was telling her I'm trying this homeopath pills and I think it's going to heal and I'm doing this and that. And she would just say, okay, never saying, oh, this is crap, but she would just say, okay, let's see how you feel. And uh, then I was, you know, just going back, crawling in pain, mm, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were times when I just, I was bursting and crying in her office and she sent me to different psychiatrists and I've been seeing therapists along the way and that that was very helpful you know um yeah I completely understand um and it just it actually what I'm just curious about is how how come it took so long to find the plant-based solution and why during all of these self-healing stuff had you overlooked for instance one of our podcasts on YouTube or the work of Dr. McDougall. I mean, when I, you know, when I got diagnosed was 2006. And let me tell you, it was a ghost town back then trying to find someone doing the sort of thing that I'm doing now. It's a ghost town. In fact, like I, I couldn't find any, I just found a couple, two books on Amazon was the only full, the complete portfolio of help was two books on Amazon. So I'm just curious if you've got typing into Google, like, how did you not sort of come across? Yeah, I I don't know, because I was actually struggling to, to find solutions. I know I was looking for a doc. So, at, you know, within like five, six years into this, I was trying to find other solutions. And I started thinking there might be something in the food. So I was mm. always searching for diet and arthritis. And it's all about the Mediterranean diet that is promoted as, you know, a good diet for arthritis. So I was basically doing the Mediterranean, but that still has, you know, animal products and that still has dairy and oils and all that. And because of my, you know, foodie um, personality, I liked baking cookies and I actually had a blog and wanted to make a business out of it. I made really delicious 
delicious um, um, cheesecakes and muffins and all that. People still know me as, you know, oh, what's going on? Why do you bake now? Well, just plant-based goodies. <laughs> um, so I was eating a lot of sugar as well, which is really bad for inflammation. I started into green smoothies. I started into, you know, less sugary, less fat thing um, recipes, but I was still eating dairy and sugar and all that. That was the only thing, the Mediterranean diet that I was um that you were finding. Trying. Um, oh yeah, finding. Yeah, that. I tried. I tried to exclude gluten at some point, only gluten, which was very hard, and I didn't see any results in a few months. I tried to exclude dairy at some point because I wanted to um, uh, get rid of my acne. I had a really severe acne on my back, and. I took a lot of antibiotics so for that ever since I was a teenager. Hang on a second. Um, how did we overlook this yeah. before? <laughs> oh, yeah. How did we overlook how did we overlook that you took lots of antibiotics yeah. for as a teenager? I, I took a lot of antibiotics since I was a kid actually because I was catching a cold very, very easy. And actually I still do. Mm. So I catch a cold maybe every other month. Mm. And last year, there were two situations where I had to take antibiotics, actually, mm. uh, because when I catch a cold, I mean, I do it, you know, <laughs> I take the whole package yeah. like um, uh, I have infections uh, in my throat or my nose or uh, it's always uh, pretty severe. And I catch I, I have a cough that lasts for like. A month or two mm. and i took ever since i was a kid I, I took a lot of medicine for for these flus uh the colds i had yep. for my acne that i tried to yeah. to fix in different ways and also uh, my menstrual pain is very severe and i took a lot of anti-inflammatory every month yeah and this I is where it's at yeah so that's why now I understand all about gut, yeah. and I actually attend uh, some some courses of um, integrative medicine, and we learn all about the microbiome. Mm -hmm. And now I understand that that starts actually when you were born, if mm -hmm. you're naturally born or through a C-section. Yeah. It starts with breastfeeding, and that creates a very good environment for your gut. Yeah. And it starts with all all the foods and uh, the antibiotics actually are the first thing that causes imbalance in the gut. Absolutely. The, the first uh, out external uh, thing that you can do. And the second one, guess what? It, it's meat. <laughs> and that's that's what I learned um, at the courses. And actually, it makes sense because when you put dead animals that are rotting in, in your stomach, that can't be good for, for the gut bacteria, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. finally, when I, when I uh, Googled diet and arthritis, I somehow saw a video with you on YouTube doing the green juice. Oh yeah. That's a classic, yeah. that one. <laughs> exactly. That's, uh, that's so I was, what, 10 years ago or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I was into smoothies already, like green smoothies, mm -hmm. but never juice this. So I saw your video and then, of course, I Googled everything about you and I, I bought your program. And um, 
I kind of prepared my body for about two weeks before that. I excluded all, all the animal products. I tried to reduce coffee and all that. And when I started, I didn't have a professional juicer. I didn't have a rice cooker. I was just putting everything on a stove, the mm -hmm. quinoa and buckwheat. I remember the first day my mom was actually back in the country and she, she was living with me for a little while. And the first morning when I started and I, I juiced like the whole bunch of celery with the yeah. cucumber, I didn't like celery. So I don't I, I don't like it now raw like this. Just put it on my salad. So I was thinking, oh, my God, this is going to probably be horrible. And it's, it was OK to drink it. It was just so drinkable. I, I was so happy that I can drink it because I, I was nervous. Oh, my God, this is going to taste bad or something. But I, I was able to drink it. And the first day was OK. But then the second day I woke up and I was like, I think I had withdrawals. Mm -hmm. Now, luckily, you describe everything very well in your book. And I was not scared. Mm -hmm. So I just jumped into the third day directly because I was shaking and I was like sweating a lot and I was kind of afraid. So I just jumped into the third day. And at the time when I started, I forgot to mention this, I had just finished an episode with prednisone. And so I took that for, I think, the last uh, four or five months. Mm. And my doctor said, OK, we'll stop it. And then if things go bad, we'll try the biological treatment. Because she was probably 95% sure that I will be bad because that this is how I was every time we stopped the prednisone. And I know you say you shouldn't start the program when just changing something in your medication. So, but I was so desperate. And the thing was, my goal, as, as mentioned, if I can stay off it with th this kind of a diet, then, you know, she won't put me on biological and I'll mm. just stay with these two drugs, the mm. methotrexate and the plaquenil. Now, I didn't, and this is very important, I like to mention this for the people watching. I saw the program, I was reading the book, I saw the videos with people that got through this. I was believing, I didn't know anything about gut health, so that was when I started uh, searching about gut. But I just took it as a diet, and because of my weight issues, I was very used to dieting. Right. Mm. I just looked at it as I could do this for like a couple of weeks and then, you know, we'll see how it goes. And it's not because I didn't believe in the program, but I didn't believe I can do it because I liked food. I was a foodie because I liked baking and all that. And I never thought that I could give up all this. And I saw this as, you know, something very extreme. But the thing is, what happens with your program is that the effect, the, the results are absolutely incredible and absolutely incredibly fast. And seeing how your body changes, it actually changes your, your whole perception on food. It gives you belief and hope and power that you can do this. And it changes your taste buds. I never thought I could drink coffee without milk or not drink coffee at all. I never thought I could give up, you know, cheese. Everybody says cheese is so hard to exclude. And I'm now when I see cheese, I see inflammation and pain. 
Mm. I actually see that. There is times when I go to the supermarket and I'm sometimes hungry, which I know I should never go shopping when I'm hungry, but sometimes I just grab like a croissant or something that I used to eat and think, I'll just get this one. And, and you know, I eat so well and 95% mm. of the time, I'll just get this one. And, and then, you know, by the time I get to the counter, I, I put it back because I just cannot hurt my body. I It's something mentally... Like, okay, I'm I'm not gonna hurt my body with this. It says there, you know, gluten, dairy, chocolate, and all that. I don't wanna hurt my body this way. I don't succeed 100% of the time, but I, I now succeed 99% of the time, and that's a huge progress. So when, when I started this coming back, I, I did it for the whole 12 days, or I think the, the, the first couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And um I was basically off the last uh, prednisone dose, so I was only on plaquenil and methotrexate, so I was basically okay with my joints. But I never thought I could be even better <laughs> because in within days, I had like more flexibility in my joints. I could do things with my hands that I... I, I already have some damages to my right joint, and I thought that that was the best I can do now, but it got even better with the food. And so what I started to include uh, within a few weeks was I actually started to include some fish and some poultry like once a week because the pressure from my family and everyone around was like, you can't just not eat meat. That's not okay. And I didn't know, I didn't have the knowledge I have now. Now I'm like, oh yeah, show me the science. <laughs> I'm so confident now. Oh, it's not good. Where's your protein? Like, oh, check, you know, here, here's some science. I'll, I'll yeah. send you an email, go do your homework and then we'll talk. I mean, I'm much more confident because now I know. That's awesome. But yeah, but but back then, my mom was like, I made this really good soup with some veal. Don't you at least want to try it? And I was like, I, I don't. I don't I don't I don't feel like eating meat. So my cravings were for sweets, not for mm. meaty foods. Mm. I was never like a, a big meat eater, but thinking, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to lose all this protein, you know, mm. <laughs> these stupid ideas you get. I tried, it was like once a week, not, not really much, but as long as I felt good, uh, I kind of included that. And I wanted to mention this. And what happened, I went to my rheumatologist like three weeks after I started your program. And every time when I went to visit her, I would do my test, my blood test before. So this was the first time since I got arthritis when I had the inflammation in normal ranges. Wow. My ECR, my ECR was 20. So right at the top, but yeah. basically normal. Yeah. And uh, I never had ECR for 20. When, when I started, my ECR was like uh, 78. And I had it like 30 or 40 with all the medication, but it was never in normal ranges. So my doctor was probably expecting me to go swollen and in pain and, uh, you know, asking for medicine. And I now remember the day she I, I opened the door and she didn't say hello. She said, what did you eat? What did you drink? Like I saw because she was she saw the blood test before I got into the appointment. And that's what the and first she said, thing what she did said. you do? 
yeah, what did you eat? What did you drink? And I was like, let me tell you, <laughs> I found this book and this guy who had rheumatoid arthritis and he developed this, uh, I called it like a detox or cleaning the gut. I didn't know much about the gut, as I was saying. And I told her, and you also have a thing, paper exclusively for rheumatologists in your program. So I gave her that and I just described, you know, written in an email what I have eaten and what I've done. And um, the first thing she did was to, she was very happy for me, actually. Uh, the first thing she said, she uh, she did, uh, she uh, decreased the injections were now pills, the methotrexate, which is like yeah. a small decrease. Very and it interesting. Was, That's really interesting. I want, you know, I've not heard that before as an actual, uh, as a, a tapering mechanism. That's interesting. Because, yeah. Because basically injectables are um, much more potent. They or absorb. Absorbed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They absorb mm -hmm. better in the body. So the pills, it was more comfortable for me as well because I didn't yeah. have to do my own injections every mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. And then after two weeks, she didn't want to exclude, she didn't want to um, decrease or go farther because she wanted to make sure that I actually maintain the state. Oh, absolutely. This is way too early to start lowering medications. Like, yeah. It, it, yeah. Interestingly, if it's worth me saying, if I were the doctor, I would say, well, that's fantastic, but I want to see two or three consecutive months of these results, which is what I recommend yeah. in my program. I say, look, if you're wanting desperately to reduce medications, then what I did with my doctor is this, and it was to hit normal blood work for both C-reactive protein and sed rate for two or three consecutive months and then make a tiny reduction and then another two or three months and then another tiny reduction. And at any time, if inflammation goes up or symptoms start to return, just stay on that dose. So that was, that's yeah. what, you know, so your doctor is actually uh, a little bit more, um, what's the word, adventurous uh, than a lot. Well, mm. Yeah, she she was she was uh, happy for me at the beginning, but uh, mm -hmm. she was not happy at the end because <laughs> right. she didn't want to exclude uh, everything. But anyway, this is how she started, and um, and then I was my job was to because I saw the the benefits. Mm. Um, I tried to be at, as compliant as I can, yes. so I was sticking. I was basically eating quinoa and buckwheat a lot. Like every lunch I would get, my, my colleagues were, I had colleagues who said, I feel bad when, when going to lunch with you because, you know, you eat so healthy <laughs> and I eat so junky food. And uh, some, some colleague called me like the quinoa queen because <laughs> I always, and I had my green juice with me oh, everywhere. Awesome. Like everybody awesome. knows my green juice. I call mm. it, it's my healthiest obsession. Yes. And, um, if I go do my nails, I have my green bottle of juice with me. Fantastic. If I'm in a meeting, actually, I was in a meeting once and I put my green juice in a Starbucks plastic cup so no one could see what's in there. And it was like a really formal meeting. And a colleague of mine, it's just a small room with five or six people. And a colleague of mine was looking like, you know, doing the nose. Something smells like, something smells like parsley or what is it? Cucumber in here. And I was like, um, well, that, that's my juice, actually. It's, it's, I have a green juice. Really? Ah, okay. That's, what is it? Well, it's uh, um, cucumber and celery, actually. 
really? So you juice that? Okay. And she's like, uh huh. That's uh, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so I was funny. trying to be, yeah, I was trying to be as compliant as I can and just, you know, put all these. Um, nutritious and really good food in, into my body so I can maintain uh, the low inflammation and so, uh, the low levels so mm. she can decrease. Yeah. I, didn't, I, w- I didn't want to be adventurous. Now, within like a couple of months, she uh, took out the placanil. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just on the methotrexate. Mm-hmm. And then she started decreasing the methotrexate. So within like six months, I was already only on 10 milligrams of methotrexate. Within six months. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So that was for me. And you see, when I saw things were going so well, I was courageous. And I I was now, my goal now was to be 100% off medication Mm. because... I saw the results and I said, hey, being off prednisone is now not enough because, Liz, I can do more yeah. and I can actually beat this thing. And this is what the program gives you. It gives you hope and you can see how things uh, can improve very well. I remember I had to go to Germany for a business trip right after like a month of starting the program. And I said, I'm not going to go for a month there because I knew when traveling, I traveled a lot for work and in my life, and it can be really nice. But when you're on a strict diet, at least at the beginning, now I know my way around. I know where to go, what to buy, and what to uh, take on with me. But at that time, <laughs> I remember I said I'm going to be there for a maximum of two weeks or like 10 days. I negotiated, and they they sent me there, and I was carrying like a little juicer with me. It was so small. I had to cut the cucumbers like vertically in half. And it was so noisy. I mean, that thing could woke up the dead seriously. And I was juicing that at 5.30 in the morning in a five-star hotel, right? The first thing I did when I landed to Germany, it was I found a supermarket and bought my celery and cucumber. So anyway, that's that's how I was keen on really, you know, doing this. And um, after after staying on 10 milligrams of methotrexate, she didn't want to decrease it. And she said, OK, let's go through the winter because I'm also a little bit weather dependent mm-hmm. when it's very humid and when it's very cold. I can actually feel it in my joints. And that's why Bucharest being the capital of of Romania, um, it's, I think, besides the pollution and all the, you know, crazy traffic, uh, it has some advantages in the sense that you can, you can get almost anything. If you want to eat healthy or plant-based, there's now restaurants that sell um, uh, plant-based burgers, quinoa, buckwheat, uh, Buddha bowls, and there's a lot of stuff you can buy and juices and smoothies. So if you want to eat healthy, you can really uh, find it easy. Mm. And it's also okay because in the mountain area where my family lives, every time I go there, it's really beautiful and fresh air. But I feel it in my joints almost within hours or a day. I just I just feel mm. like a little something like, oh, you're in the mountains now, right? Really? <laughs> 
Yeah. Right. So yeah. what what weather condition do you think triggers it? Is it the humidity, do you think, or the cool, or what is it? These two combinations, oh. humidity and cold. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's my conclusion. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, after I got very well over the winter, um, my uh, my doctor said, okay, uh, maybe if you're so um, doing so well, we'll decrease it. But then every time I would go to a consultation, she would not decrease it. She would say, oh, you know, it's better to just, you know, be on the safe zone and have this this 10 milligrams is just a small dose. So you can, you know, we'll just keep it there just in case. And I was doing so fine. I was like, well, why should we keep it just in case? But I realized then or now there's no doctor who actually takes on the responsibility to remove the last dose of immunosuppressive. I don't know anybody who did that. Well, she probably doesn't have any other doctors as friends or colleagues who've ever done that. So she's got no reference. There's no reference point. If she hasn't had a client in the past, sorry, patient in the past, who she's ever taken off drugs, and I see what you're saying, and I completely agree, is that there's a responsibility that she feels, and that's a, a good sign of a good doctor, and she just feels, look, I she might not feel comfortable with you not being on a drug because if you were to come back to her in pain, she feels like she's done something that is considered medically inconsistent with the recommendations, which are put people on as much drugs as necessary to squash the symptoms. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I'm not blaming her 100%, but this was a person that saw me at my worst. Mm. I mean, there were days when I was just going to her and I would just cry. Mm. I mean, she saw me at my worst. And now when I was doing so well, she was not even, I mean, I sent her all the documentation. She was not even curious to say, this is a this is my job as a doctor. This is my expertise. And there's a person who struggled for years and now she's doing fine all, just like that. I would at least be curious to know what, you know, what is that? Isn't Maybe it? I can tell that to, to other patients. And this is I mean if if your your job is, I don't know, I used to work in procurement. We used to, I don't know, do orders um, for people and uh, approving them and checking all the details. And that usually, depending on the value, will take, I don't know, three days. If someone would do that just in one hour and, and I would at least, if that's my job and it always takes three days to get an order approved, I would at least check to see, hey, how did this guy do it in one hour? Because that's my job, right? Yeah. You'd want to learn. There's, there's a... There's obviously a better way of doing it than the status quo. And if there's a better way, then shouldn't we all shift across to that? And good doctors would, good doctors, because Dr. Michael Clapper, who's been on the episode, been on the podcast a couple of times, or I've had him a bunch in our support group. So I've had monthly support calls and I've had him as a guest a few times to take questions from members. And he says, you learn the most from your patients. That's his, one of his quotes. You learn your most from your patients. So if you present with virtually no symptoms after being one of her worst cases, I mean, it's mind-blowing how she wouldn't want to take you out 
not maybe not to dinner, but take you for just go for a walk or sit down at a cafe and hear everything you have to say. No, every time I would go in, she would just make these weird faces like, are you still eating those greens? Are you still drinking that? Oh, my God. As if, please don't do that because I've got medications for you. Oh, my. Yeah. She was like, oh, my God, I don't know how you can. I've been to the States a few times traveling for work, and I told her I didn't have any hamburgers because I I don't like them and I I don't eat hamburgers. Really? So you've been to the States and you didn't have like a steak? Uh, no, but, and she was like making these faces. Oh my God, no meat and no, uh, no cheese. She would just Mm. check everything possible in my blood. And when I, I remember once in, in December when I went to her and she saw the blood, everything, everything was excellent. And she said, you know what? These blood tests are so well. I have never had a patient with this. And I could just frame them and put them on a wall. They're that good. But she wouldn't. So she she obviously saw the results, but she wouldn't do more like, okay, uh, let's have you talk to other patients or yeah. let's see if other patients could just, you know, juice some cucumber and celery. There's no side effect of eating healthy. There are no side effects of trying to eat healthy. You can just see the benefits. I mean, yeah. So that was really frustrating. And towards the end, she said, uh, you know, the only the only reason why I would get you off methotrexate would be if you want to get pregnant. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. So if I want to get pregnant, you'll take me off the drug. But if I don't, you won't. I mean, how does that happen? Hmm. And I said, I went to her at my one of my last visits and I said, um, I'd like to have a baby. <laughs> I, I'm so I don't plan this right now. I mean, I'd love to have a family one day, but not planning at the moment. But I just I, I told that to her and she doesn't know me personally that well, but I don't think she believes me 100 percent. She's like, um, if you want to have a baby, then uh, we'll take you off and you have to do all the preparation tests, you know, for ha- so she actually prescribed all the tests that I have to do, you know, before getting ready for a pregnancy. Hang on a second. When do we need to do tests before being able to have a baby? I mean, sh- surely you just come off the drug and wait six months, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, there's like some blood tests you need to do you know, just to test uh, fertility and all that kind of stuff. Oh, Every if, gynecologist if someone wants to make, that, If someone wants to make money out of you. But do you yeah. think, do you, <laughs> oh, yeah. come on, I come know. on. Do you think in rural Africa there are people doing tests before? I, the, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I know, but yeah. in Romania it's crazy. Um, so there is, there is people who can't afford like a proper medical insurance. I've always had like private medical insurance because yeah, right. I worked in multinational companies all the time. I didn't have this issue. And now I'm getting, I'm not working in multinational companies anymore, but I'm getting a private insurance on my own. But there is, so there's this big gap and there's people who can afford a lot of stuff and they do. I mean, it's crazy how they can be tricked into genetic testing and all Mm. kinds of, you know, treatments or testing or intolerances. Mm. And they pay like a lot of money for these things. They pay a lot of money for it. Uh, But, you know, it's 
they they just think that maybe more expensive uh, medical care will be better. Yeah, we all think, yeah. When in fact, the most healthy people on earth are actually the poorest. Yeah, because if you can only only eat potatoes and rice, then you're going to do fantastic. Exactly. If tomorrow you decide to eat potatoes, rice and salad, yep. you would see huge benefits. I mean, yeah, right. I started with wanting to reduce my inflammation and I, I cleaned my liver. I had a fatty liver because of the medicine for years. I had acne. I had, I mean, there's all kinds of transformation that happened and you know, I call it side effects of healthy eating because you get a lot of benefits, which you don't even think about. Mm. Yeah. So what what I did finally, um, I, I told her I want to have a baby. So mm -hmm. she said she wants to see me uh, in another month. And um, uh, I got an infection in, in my throat. I had like a really severe cold and I had to take antibiotics. And when you have a big infection, you know, you're not allowed to take the methotrexate in that week because it interferes. So I didn't take the methotrexate that week. I didn't take it the following week. And I said, hey, you know what? This is my moment. I'll just exclude it for good. Mm -hmm. And I went back to her and I saw I, I told her that I excluded it completely. And she was very, very pissed off. She wrote on my report uh, something like. She excluded the the last medication on her own uh, will or something like that, so she can you know not be responsible exactly. for it. That's all it is. Yeah. And she said, "You'll be crawling back in pain, and you'll be swallowed, and you'll be you know uh, all she this." She said that. Yeah. Your doctor yeah. said and you'll said, be crawling back in pain, and you'll be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, she was like describing how bad I will be. And I said, uh, you know, this this thing, this uh, way of eating really changed my life. And I'm, I'm going to be a nutritionist. I'm, I'm going to get certified in, in mm. a few months. And she said something like, whatever. She said something in Romanian that I can't translate exactly, but it was like, you know, whatever. Oh, my God. Not even, not even you know, hey, good for you. You know, yeah. I don't agree with this. But whatever works for you, yeah. if you're happy and healthy, mm. whatever, you know, mm. not even that. Mm. Sometimes, but, well, you know, sometimes people will say to me that uh, I've heard this more than once. And I think that the sentiment is summed up really nicely in this expression is that people have told me that when you get well or when you're doing great without the need for medications, rheumatologists have told my clients that they're boring. And I've heard this on a number of occasions. So it, it tells me the sort of sentiment that's going on. The client, the patient becomes boring because they can't try and solve a problem. The patient comes and everything looks normal. And so there's nothing to do. And it's not because of their meds. It's because the patient is self-improving, right? Doing things to address the underlying cause. And doctors say, look, you know, you're, you're actually boring. To, to be told that I think is a the most weirdest backhanded compliment you could get. But, um, but that's what's going on. And then it's, it, it, but I think it can go beyond that in your situation where it almost becomes insulting for the doctor. She takes personal insult because she is now redundant and you are the smarter of the two human beings. You are. And yeah, well, I never played smart and I was really humble all this time. I never 
pretend that I know better than a doctor. And I, I still don't pretend that. But I've obviously learned so much. And I can see the results on myself, my friends, my family see the results. You cannot ignore that. You, you mm. can't just pretend that didn't happen. Mm. And you can't just call it, it was not through this magical pill or this magical doctor or this healing one food or something. It was just through basic whole food you know, and, and plant-based it's, you know, inexpensive, basic food. Yeah. And Humble food. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, you know, your program was actually the, the 50 bucks was less than my last rheumatologist appointment because that didn't, it wasn't covered by my insurance I had at that time. And I was like, she didn't even touch my hands or make a proper consultation. And I was like, Listen, you don't have to be rich to be healthy. And actually, being sick can be very expensive. Very expensive. And I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about only the medicine, but the whole lifestyle. Mm. You know, I sometimes had someone helping me clean the house. And I had friends like, you're paying a woman to clean your house? Mm. Yeah, I need to. I live alone. And mm. I, have, I sometimes need help. Mm. Now I can I can do it on my own, but in in the past, I I needed you know help for that, and I had to get a car so I can drive easier, and I had to get like an automatic car because I won't ha- so that I won't have to change you know the yeah. speeds all the time like a manual car. Yeah, and that's expensive, but it it significantly helped my joints, yeah. you know, and all that kind of the whole lifestyle that is much more expensive when you're sick. Mom, and um, yeah, what, what what happened in the end? Um, I have to say she was right into some extent because the pain did come back. And within two months since I extracted all the medication, I had really severe pain. Mm-hmm. But what I was doing at that time, I was eating maybe 90 percent compliant. Yeah, there was some mistakes in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at my work, there was always chocolate because there was always someone's birthday or someone was, you know, um, pregnant or someone was celebrating something. And I'm a snacker. I always have to know if I hear a bag opening, I at least need to know what's in there. I might not want to taste, but, you know, all the colleagues were like used to me and they would just come and and ask me if I want something before opening the bag because they knew I would ask anyway. So being 90% compliant, you know, for many of the conditions is actually wonderful. But for autoimmune you conditions that mm-hmm. might, there's times when 90% is not enough. That's so, all the time. That's all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought I could get away with it because <laughs> I was feeling good. You know, yeah. I thought, you know, I got this. I know what to do. And, you know, I can skip a little chocolate once in a while and I can do this. But when I, when I really... Yeah, maybe if you had a still been on that t- 10 milligram methotrexate, that might have been the case. Yeah. But you're it accepting, was. you are accepting 100% of the responsibility when you come off that drug. It is like the weight of the world is, uh, is on your shoulders. Uh, and uh, if you go and mess around, you're going to feel it instantly. 
Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's what happened. I had mm-hmm. probably the biggest flare in my life. Wow. Um, I remember um, that so that was like six months ago, right? Mm-hmm. I had to work from home and my colleagues and managers were very supportive because I didn't want to drive and get dressed and do all that. My mother was living close and she would come every morning to cut my celery and cucumber and do all mm-hmm. this for me mm-hmm. and do the dishes. I was going to the beauty shop to wash my hair because I didn't have enough power in my hands to wash my hair. Wow. But what I did was uh, I saw that this is going down. Like when I, when the pain started, it was like really fast. So I said, okay, I'm on my own now. And what I did was just went back to the baseline of your program the first day and I prepared again I I started on the weekend and it's just absolutely incredible Clint after 24 hours I saw improvement it was not 50 percent improvement it was maybe three percent because without medication it's harder Mm -hmm. But I saw little improvement day by day, and I I stuck to it. I I really uh, was compliant this time, 100%. And I managed to to, um, gradually improve, and I was able to go to work again in a couple of weeks. And uh, ever since, I'm basically, um, you know, still not perfect. Maybe I would say 99%. I still have days when... I feel like I I've worked too much or I you know cleaned mm. the house a little bit too much or I exaggerated with exercising and that uh I I kind of know now what causes it but I manage it only with food and that's absolutely amazing. I I never thought I could reach those points. Yeah, nor does nor do very few very few people feel that someone yeah. could reach that point. So in the uh with regards to time left, we uh, let's let can we just yeah. quickly cover? Have you um, done any changes to your exercise routine since uh, since starting our program? Um, I tried hot pot yoga. There was mm-hmm. no Bikram Yoga Studio in Bucharest. I think there is one now, uh, mm-hmm. very pricey, but I, I will try it one day. I tried hot yoga, and I have to say, it didn't really work for me. I tried actually several times. Mm-hmm. I tried um, personalized yoga with a teacher that does only with me. The thing is, I feel good and flexible, but it's still a little bit painful. Right. And what really, really works for me is swimming. And good. I love the feeling. I have a lot of swimming pools around me. I'm a member of a club that has a few. And um, it's just, I call it my my prednisone now because yeah. I feel so good every time. Yeah. And uh, um, swimming and sometimes just walking. If I can't go to the swim, I try to do my daily 10,000 steps. I try to do some gymnastics around the house. I have all kinds of, you know, little exercise balls that I, I try to mm-hmm. work with. Uh, but for me, swimming is is definitely the best. I knew there had to be something, right? I knew there had to be something that's going on in addition to the food because sure. I just don't see it, or at least I, I just, it's so rare to only have the food as the only in the only change there has to be some swimming there has to be some bike riding or there has to be something cardiovascular activity it just 
you know, we have to move the lymphatic system to eliminate the waste that we're clearing from the body. And so I knew there was something going on. Now, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Uh, one thing that we wanted to cover just before we started, uh, and you said this wonderful quote. So I'd like to close with your quote, which was actually I haven't typed it down correctly, but it, uh, if you could, if you could I say can, it for me, but I it's can, the one about yeah. the power of consistency. Can you tell me about yeah, that one? Yeah. yeah. I always say that the key to being successful is not being perfect, but is being constant in what you do. And that means, you know, baby steps. And uh, if you if you can be 100% compliant, you know, be 80%, try 50%, try it for at least a period of time or try to do as much as you can, but do it constantly. I'm not actually now 100% if I can, you know, be very honest, but I'm, I'm doing more every day. My cravings are less every day. My uh, exercise is better every day. I, I try to improve and add a few rounds in my swimming all the time. And, um, uh, Aiming and trying to be perfect is not the solution, but trying to make small or, you know, big improvements as big as you can, but do it, uh, do it for good, do it on a daily basis and be constant in what you do. Mm -hmm. That's the secret, I I suppose. And as catchy or, or, you know, cliche as this may sound, I think hard work will get you there in the end. And when you build this kind of a success through your hard work and not through some magical quick fix, when you build it with your hard work, it, you know, no one can take it away from you. And the, the power you gain through the process is just imaginable. And there's nothing more important than health. If you can just get back your health, what better in life can there be? Mm. That's right. That sets everything else up. It's the foundation, isn't it? Irina, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's been fascinating to listen about you through the ups and downs and the the challenges and then the success. And uh, like you say, it's a work in progress. It's something that uh, uh, at whatever stage you're at, you know, there's always a degree of discipline that is required. And you have found that... uh, at times, if you're off the drugs and you're only doing 90% of what you need, that might not be enough. If you are on the drugs and you're doing 90%, well, that might be a good balance. And so there's a big lesson in there for people. If they're thinking of trying to taper their medications, realize that with that comes a lot of responsibility. So uh, yeah. we have to be way up the uh, fours and against. Yeah, but it, at least at least you know that you have a choice. You can. That's it. You, I can eat whatever I want and go back to drugs, but it's my mm-hmm. choice not to do it. Nice. So. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. good luck Thank with you your so much. good luck with your future <laughs> career. I'm sure you're going to do great, uh, especially with your corporate background and your ability to communicate both in your uh, in your uh, native language and also English. I mean, you're going to just be able to reach a lot of people and uh, and have that feeling we talked about earlier on in the episode about how making it making it okay because now we can help other people. And so I'm certainly wishing you the best of that and looking forward to see how that how that business grows. Thank you so much, Clint. Thank, Thank you, you for all, everything that you do. You've been listening to The Patterson Program. 
For more information, visit pattisonprogram.com.